Have you ever been amazed at what Jesus can do? This morning I woke up and I prayed, you know, Lord, what is your heart for your people this morning? And the song, this song came to mind. I looked it up on YouTube and I listened to it on the way to church. So when Jason started that, I thought, I don't believe this. I almost wanted to text him and ask him if he could add that to his music this morning because do you realize what that song is saying? His name is power. His name is love. You know the two strongest forces in this world? Love and hate. Love comes from the throne of God and from the power that Jesus did on the cross. Hate comes from darkness. And we, when we let our bitterness, our hurts, and that we're feeding darkness. When we proclaim this, we're feeding the throne of God. And that stream flows without any interruption into our hearts. I'm going to read Philippians 4.8 Philippians 4.8 this morning. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. We have got to dwell on the things of God and not what we see in this world. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. You amaze me every day. And Father, as we sit in your presence, and you look down on us this morning as we sit before you and in your presence, Father, I pray that every individual here will release anything that will cause them not to see your love and your power in their life. Father, I pray against all bitterness and hurt envy and strife that disrupts your body. And Father, I want to speak love, power, healing, restoration, and peace to the body of Christ. Present here and those who may be watching on YouTube. Lord, you're a mighty, you're a mighty God. You never change. And Father, <laughs> It's two of my favorite songs. I love that. He saved me. I am saved. Father Paul, he, he, re, he told people his testimony every opportunity he gave, that you gave him. We need to remember how we came to you. We need to remember what our life was like without you. And Father, how you came in, you restored. Father, I can say for myself, I was dead. I was not alive until you came into my heart. And then no longer existence, but living. It doesn't mean trouble isn't there. It doesn't mean there's not things we have to deal with on a daily basis. But we never, never have to go anything, through anything alone. We have you, your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And you provide the body around us to encourage us when we need it. But sometimes, Father, you remove that 
So we look only to you. We have to remember that it's you and you alone that are that is with us every moment of every dark hour when no one seems to be around. You are there shining bright. Father, help us to proclaim that, believe that. Father, I saw there was these young people that's sitting on the front row, some with parents, but there's some just sitting there to my left. And Father, I just thank you for young people in this church. The kids that are going to grow because they're being taught the foundation. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that that foundation will be true and strong and not just do verses, but apply that to real life. Because scripture is more relevant to us today than it has ever been in my lifetime. So, Lord, I give you praise, adoration. And, Father, as, as Tim comes, I just pray, Father, for an anointing you've gifted him. Father, I pray that things come from him that he hasn't even prepared for, that you have prepared. Give him freedom of speech, freedom to flow in the spirit as you want him to. Father, I thank you for how you have equipped this body, the fellowship body. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Um, We'll have the kids be dismissed their time of worship upstairs. That's uh, three years old through the fifth grade. And parents, you can pick them up upstairs at the end of the service. But thank you all for being here as it's a great morning to gather together to center our lives around the cross of Jesus, the good news of who he is and what he has done for us. And before we open the word in our time together this morning, I want to make you aware of things going on in the life of the church. The bulletin sheet you received on the way in has some of this information. Um, Anything we put on there or we share from up here is important, and so some of it affects everybody, some of it doesn't affect everybody, but I would just encourage you, if you're looking to get connected and involved in things, pay attention to um, any of these things that we talk about. First, I want to tell you, some of you were here last week and signed up for the Church Center app, which allows us to connect um, in, in just a greater degree, allows you to add pictures of yourself and your personal information, update that to where It's sort of an online directory for our church. It's also the way we do um, registrations for certain events, um, trips, things like that. Uh, So we will again play at the end of the service today. We're again going to play just a five-minute instructional video on how to set up uh, the app on your phone and how to set up your account. We also have just a photo station in the back corner of the room here. If you want to get a family picture or an individual picture taken so that you can put it on that app and you don't have something up to date, then um, Kate Cransline, uh, one of our staff, is going to be back there taking pictures at the end of the service today. So if you want to just form a line in the back corner and Kate will walk you through all of that. Um, If you've already set up the app, if you've already uploaded a picture, that's fine. Go on about your, your Sunday. But we really consider this to be important as a way of just connecting with each other at a greater 
degree. So whether you've done it last week or you do it this week, um, at some point we do want all of you to update your information on this online system. If you're here for the first time and that makes you nervous, that's okay. You don't have to like do it on your first Sunday. Um, but if you're here and you're part of this body and uh, you want to be connected to a greater degree, this is a great tool for that. Um, there's a few things. There's sign-up sheets in the back of the room uh, for a few things going on over the next couple weeks. February 4th, we have a men's breakfast. I'd encourage all of you men to join us for that. Um, it's going to be breakfast tacos, from what I hear. It's a different menu every time we do these things. It's always good food. It's good time for uh, building relationships, and uh, we have a time in the Word there as well. So we'd love for any of you guys to sign up for that. We'll also have a new members class coming in February. If you're at all interested about that, um, come and talk to me, and we'll get an online registration ready for that through that Church Center app. That will be up and running this week. We've also got um, more people coming to bring babies to be dedicated in service. We've got another baptism that we're, we're going to be doing. So any of those sort of connection points, new members, baby dedication, and baptism, come and talk to me uh, about those and... Um, uh, we will be scheduling those in February and March. Um, a big event that we want you to know about and save the date for is the last weekend in February, our annual missions conference. Our missions conference this year, we're going to have a Saturday component and a Sunday component. The theme on Sunday is going to be focused on Jesus Film and Crew, and we're going to have a special speaker from Crew that will come and share with us about the ministry of Crew and specifically Jesus Film, the effect it's had throughout the world. That Sunday evening, we're going to have a movie night in which we're going to, the kids programming is going to be mostly normal, and the adults and youth are going to together watch one of the Jesus Film produced movies. It's not the original Jesus Film, it's a more recent film that they've done called Magdalena. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have food, we're going to watch a movie, and we're going to have some discussion about um, about it as a tool for evangelism, a tool for discipleship, um, and just reflect on the ministry of the Jesus Film and how we can be connected in outreach locally through that ministry. On Saturday, I did this out of order, I talked about Sunday first, on Saturday we also have a component, we're going to have some morning sessions from some of our missionaries and missions partners are going to be coming and sharing with us about uh, different aspects. We're going to have a kids' mission focus on Saturday morning as well. So the adults will have sessions and the kids will have sessions, and that will end in a lunch. So we're going to continue to, to share with you more details about that over the next four or five weeks, but we want you to be aware Saturday morning, Sunday morning, Sunday evening of those components for the missions conference. And now I'll have you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Last week, we honed in on this idea of false teaching and the way that Timothy is being prepared in this letter for combating false teaching in his day. And what we can learn about that, uh, Paul really gave Timothy two tools to combat um, false teaching in his day. One is a, a test of the theology of the teaching that was being received, and one was a test of the godliness or the, the behavior that goes along with what was being taught. Uh, this week, we are talking about Paul's definition for success. Now, if you go out into the world as we know it and look for a definition of success, you're going to find wide-ranging definitions. There's plenty of books that want to tell you what being a success in life is all about. 
how to do it, how to work towards a successful personal life, career, what have you, including in the spiritual life. Here, here are the five steps that you must take in order to be successful in your spiritual pursuits and in your spiritual life. I remember um, the first time, honestly, I, I seriously reflected on this was as a senior in high school. And you know how we have a senior in high school this year, and so we're, we did the senior picture thing yesterday, and we're talking through graduation stuff, and, and as we're thinking through these things, I'm just reminded of some of the stuff that happened my senior year of high school. And I don't know about you guys, your school, but you probably had some level of like senior awards or senior superlatives where people were recognized for different things. I became well-known amongst my senior class for being really good at being second place in those things. They have these, these voting, all the senior class votes on certain things. Of course, you have like the valedictorian, the salutatorian, they're like automatic. You know who gets those. You don't vote on those. But then you vote on like the weird, goofy ones, like best dressed and best personality, funniest guy, nicest, whatever. And you have guys and girls that win all of these things. I got, the yearbook staff came to me and said, um, Tim, you didn't win anything. I was like, yeah, it figures, it sounds about right. But you got second in five categories. I was like, that was, should be a category in itself. <laughs> second best guy. That should have been my thing. But one of the ones that actually, um, at one point, I was thinking through was the most likely to succeed. I was second most likely to succeed in my class. Now, valedictorian doesn't count in that, salutatorian doesn't count because that kind of are more important. But So maybe I was like sixth or seventh most likely to succeed. But in that vote, I was voted most likely to succeed. And that year, there was a discussion between me and this other guy about potentially at awards day, the person that was voted most likely to succeed by the senior class would be giving a speech. And I knew I was nominated and I was in the running and I was close. And so I had to start thinking about what kind of speech would I give to my senior class if I was voted to be most likely to succeed? Because as a senior in high school, I wasn't fully certain what that meant. I wasn't fully certain what, why my peers would have an interest in voting for me for that award. And so I started to think through, you can have success in a number of different areas. You can have, um, you can have career success. It's probably the way that the world judges success the most, how much money you make, how much notoriety you get, how much kind of personal power you achieve through influence over other people in a successful career. But, but even that has subcategories. You can have a notable career or you can have just you're all about finances and, and the physical success of making money in life. Or you can measure success by your family life and how successful you are in marriage, in children, and, and what your relationships are with your family. Maybe you measure success not just in your family, but in relationships outside of the family. How well-known you are, how well-respected you are within a community. In high school, Tim Cheney was reflecting on these things, and I'll be honest, I was trying to be mature in my thoughts about it, but I was really kind of struggling on to... I knew kind of generally, well, success should be measured by Jesus. I knew. I'd been in church long enough. I knew that that needed to be where my definition of success was. Um, but I remember thinking, I don't know where, where to find that. I don't know how to define 
success as an, as an adult, how to find, define success as a Christian. This passage actually gives us this answer. And I'll be honest, I'm about to give you the sermon title, and you might judge me when I give you the sermon title, because this is not my norm. This is the most like clickbaity sermon title I've ever come up with in my life. But it was right there, so I just had to give it to you that way. I told the guys before, I said, this is like the sort of thing that you like put online as a free ebook and said, give me your email address and I will give you this, this promotional ebook. And so my sermon title is literally Five Pursuits of a Successful Life. I told you, clickbaity, you can groan if you want to. But this is truly what Paul is giving us in this passage. He is telling Timothy, you've been given a gift, you've been given an opportunity, you've been given a calling, you've been given all the resources you need to succeed, now go do it. And he's really spelling it out to Timothy in these few verses of 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16, if you want to be successful in where God has placed you, these are the things you must pursue. These are the things you must do. It's an intensely practical passage. It's an intensely personal passage for me. Um, I think I've told you this before. Maybe I, I've told you this 12 times as we've been working through 1 Timothy. Um, I have this thing about other people named Timothy. There's always, thank you, Tim, there's always a direct like connection there that Timothy, First and Second Timothy were always like the books of the Bible I was drawn to as a young person because it's like about me. And it's about a young guy. And so as a young guy named Timothy, it's like this should be the book that I should invest in and try to learn. And so there's a verse in here that I know and have known as well as any other. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That verse has been a verse that has, that has kind of sunk into my mind for a long time. And so it's a deeply personal, it's a deeply important passage. But we'll start in verse 11, we'll read through the whole thing here. Verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So this is the word that God has given us for this morning. The first question we must ask is in verse 11. Command and teach what things? So I'll remind you, the passage that preceded this was focused on identifying false teaching within the church. And the two aspect, the two ways to identify whether teaching was true or false that Paul gave to Timothy in the previous verses was, is it, is it right doctrine? There's a belief test. Is this ideology really preaching, presenting biblical truth, biblical doctrine? And the second is, is this way of teaching resulting in right behavior that, that Paul is so interested in? 
put such a priority in, not just what you believe, but what you do in response to what you believe. That's how you determine what is true and false doctrine. Going back to verse 6 of the same passage, we see that Paul is ultimately telling Timothy, this is how you are to become a good servant in Christ. Verse 10, the verse that immediately precedes this, he says, to this end we toil and we strive. So here's the, the, the thing I want you to have in your minds this morning as we unpack this. This passage is all about how you become a good servant in Christ, how you are successful in what God has placed in front of you to do. Obviously, there's a direct application here for Timothy as a young minister. So much of what Paul is saying is to a young man who is leading a church, who is discipling others, who is pastoring and preaching and teaching. That's not a direct line of application for all of us in the same way. And yet the general principles of this passage are so clear and so practical in that if you want to be a success in your life, in whatever God has put in front of you to do, there's something for you here in this passage. Timothy was not likely to have been voted by his peers to be likely to succeed. Timothy was, in 1 Corinthians, we see um, a little bit timid, maybe hesitant to speak up. Paul encouraged those around him to encourage him to speak up. Um, Paul, in 2 Timothy, spoke of the spirit of fear and timidity and encouraged Timothy not to fall into a spirit of fear and timidity, but to pursue the spirit of God, of power, love, and of a sound mind. Timothy was young. This passage references that. Don't let the other believers look down on you for your youth. This probably means that he was like mid-30s, probably means that he was leading people that were older than him. If you compare First and Second Timothy to the book of Titus, it seems like there's a concern in First Timothy that's not there in Titus. Even though those books, you should read those three books together. There's so much direct comparison, so much similarity. Let me tell you what's not similar. In Titus, it, does, it seems as if Titus is probably a young man, but Titus is shepherding, is leading other young people, other young leaders, other new believers. But in First and Second Timothy, you see about four or five times where there's this reference to the fact that Timothy is young, that he has to work with older people, and Timothy is put in a position of leadership over people older than him. It's very different when you read Titus versus First and Second Timothy on that particular issue. And so Timothy had his work cut out for him as a young guy in a major city, in a, in a significant church in the ancient world and in the early Christian church. And Timothy kind of had some personal reasons why if you pick him out in a crowd, you probably wouldn't have picked that quiet guy to lead the big group. But Paul saw a giftedness in him. Paul saw a strong conviction in him. And others, the other elders, saw it too. And so Timothy, even though in all the outward measures, probably wouldn't have been picked as the pastoral leader, was picked as the leader. And before we get into these five pursuits, I want you guys to think about that. Every single one of you. Whether you would be the person picked to be the outward leader, 
the vocal leader, the person that stands up in front of a, a group of people that other people look to, or whether you're just the quiet person that prefers to hang into the background. Maybe you're the person that, that isn't particularly well-spoken. You don't think on your feet as well. It does not mean that God will not use you for his kingdom. God has great kingdom pursuits for every single person in this room. He has good works set out for us to do that he longs for us to walk in, Ephesians 2.10. And in this passage, we see how any one of us and every one of us can go deeper in our pursuit of diligence and faithfulness to the word of God and to his calling on our lives. So let me give you the five pursuits. Number one is character. And that's what we get in verse 12. Number two is devote yourself to the word in verse 13. Number three, find your gift in verse 14. Number four, practice. And number five, watch yourself. Those are verses 15 and 16. So first, let's talk about pursuing character in verse 12. Like I said, this is probably the most well-known verse of this passage. Timothy, don't let those around you look down on you because of your youth. Instead, set the example. So here is something very, very powerful. We all knew that at some point Paul was going to get to the word. We knew that. But I need you to remember and recognize all the way through 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, Paul is continuing to say, we need people of character. We need people of godliness and holiness that are leading the church, that are representatives of Jesus, that are making a difference within the world around them, within their communities, and within Christ's kingdom. And his first pursuit that he gives to Timothy here in this passage, it's not first in importance, it's just first in order, set the good example of godliness, of character. And he gives Timothy five aspects of character in which to pursue this positive, godly example. Remember, Paul is the one that said to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul has always believed that godly character matters, that looking like Jesus matters. And so Paul has tried to live his life as a representation of who Jesus is. And as Paul tries to reflect Jesus to others, he expects those that are following him to look like him so that they can look like Jesus. Not because Paul is the answer, not because Timothy's the answer, but we who have the opportunity to set positive examples are only positive examples in so much as we reflect Jesus. So Paul's not saying, Timothy, you're super great, so just be super great. Be you, Timothy. No, he's saying, Timothy, you know what character looks like. You know what Jesus looks like. So set Jesus-centered, Christ-like examples in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I think there's actually a little bit of a progression here in, in these five aspects of it, that it's more public at the beginning of the list and more private as you get down to the end of the list. Speech is the first example. We know that if we are going to represent Jesus well around us, we have to be careful about what we say. What we say publicly and what we say privately. 
because we don't know what happens to the words that we say when they get taken and, and used by others or get communicated to other people. So we as Christians have to be the ones to set the Christ-like example, the godly example of watching our speech and watching our words. So many of us, myself included, have lived in such a way as to have too many words that we lose track of the words that we speak. And then we come back and we recognize, well, well, I said too much. I was too critical. I was too sarcastic. I wasn't uplifting enough. And you want to bring those words back, but you just can't. One of the hardest ways for us to pursue godly character is in our speech. James said that a small uh, tongue can set a forest on fire. That if anyone can tame the tongue, they can tame them very, their very selves. Psalms says, when words are many, sin is not absent. So maybe some of us need to remember that our words are too many. This is me talking to me right here. Maybe if you, if you can sit in and listen to me talking to myself, maybe you'll hear something for you too. But the more we speak sometimes, the more we put our foot in our own mouth. Psalm 18, 13 says, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Did you know that when you're talking, you're not listening? And that's not a good example for those around us. Proverbs has much to say. The lips of the righteous, Proverbs 10, 32, the lips of the righteous one know what is fitting. He who guards his lips guards his life, Proverbs 13, 3. To be a good example in speech is not easy. But Christians, were called to encourage. We're called to speak words of truth. And we're called to speak words of love to those around us. We can do all of that. We can speak true words that are hard to hear, and we can speak those true words in love. We can encourage. We can exhort. We can build up people with our words. Conduct, number two. Like I said, speech is, is very public. Because what you say, people can just hear. Not everybody gets to see your conduct in the same way. Because you can behave one way in one setting and behave totally differently in another setting. A lot of us are really good at that. All sinners have that capacity to be one person in one setting and another person in another setting. So along with being an example of good speech, Paul is calling Timothy to be an example in your life or in your conduct. And so, Timothy, in your conduct, live in such a way that whether you are leading a church gathering or in the market buying food for your family or out in the field growing crops, whatever you are doing, people look at you and they see that you are pursuing godliness. Guys, I was reminded Friday night, I got into a conversation with some guys about my conduct in basketball games and I was told reminded I think I knew this Jess likes to remind me of things like this that I am being watched at times even when I'm coaching seven and eight year old basketball games sometimes this is this is like point one and two for me speech and conduct for me sometimes my words are too many in basketball games sometimes I can rub people the wrong way when my words get too many it was a good reminder for me just in a conversation with some, some other guys. Nobody's criticizing me. They're kind of giving me a hard time. But in what they're saying, it's a good reminder to me 
that my public speech, my public actions, when I grab my hair about a walk not being called or anything like that, when that happens, I'm being watched. And guys, this isn't just about me because I'm a pastor. This is about us as followers of Jesus, that we're representatives of Jesus in our conduct, in the things that we do. So we have to be mindful. We have to be careful. Watch our lives. Watch our speech. Watch our conduct. Now the third, it gets, it's, this is where it starts to get a little bit more behind the scenes. Lots of people hear what we say. Other people see what we do. But then an even smaller group of people really see the way we love others. It's really only those that you're close to that you let into your life that can really tell where your love is. How well do you love your family, your spouse, your children? How well do you love God? How well do you love others? All these things Christ has called us to. And so that third level of love is a little bit more private. It's a little bit less visible for others. And so Paul is telling Timothy, don't just, this isn't just about what the church sees. This is what your spouse sees. This is what your neighbors see. This is what your family sees. It goes even deeper than that, from love to faith. Even less people see our faith in a real behind-the-scenes sense than see our love. Those that are somewhat close to us can see the way we love others in real ways. But do they see us when we're wrestling with our faith and we're wrestling with doubt on our darkest days? That, you're probably going to let a couple of people into that. Maybe just one person. Maybe you don't even let anybody into that struggle. When, when life gets hard and when you really have to battle to maintain faith in a good, holy, and loving God who has sovereign control over everything, that journey of faith in those moments is not a public journey. It becomes a very private journey. It's a very difficult journey. The last one's even more private, our purity. Because at the level of purity, we're talking about sin that happens within the head and within the heart. People can see your public sins, but we all have private sins that people only know about if we choose to confess them and choose to share them. Your purity, your life of keeping your purity is something that is largely between you and God, unless you open up to somebody else and let them in to your battle and to your struggle in purity. And let me tell you something. In my experience, I think this is where we're losing more ground than anywhere else. Because it is in this category of purity that, that the stream is sort of starting up here. And if we've got a problem in our public lives, in our conduct, or in our speech, that's probably reflective of an upstream problem within our minds and within our lives of purity. You say the wrong things most likely because you love the wrong things. Your conduct is bad likely because you lack faith. But all of those things come from where is your heart in relationship with Christ and what are you pursuing in the most intimate of moments when it's just you and God alone? Where are your thoughts? Where are your eyes? Where are your hopes? Where are your dreams? What are your real goals and aspirations in life? I think it's easy to pick on men right now, and I'm happy to do that. Guys, we've got a problem. But I think this is true for men and women. 
that in the purity of, of in, our, in the privacy of our minds, we have a purity problem. And we could talk about sex and sexuality, lust, temptation. That's going to be a primary problem there. But that's not the only sin of the mind that we struggle with and that affects our purity. So I'm going to tell you, if we are to pursue Christ-like character, we've got to pursue We've got to wage war at the battlefield of personal purity. Personal devotion to Christ, being alone with God and focusing on Him fulfilling our needs rather than another fulfillment of our needs in any way, mental, physical, sexual, whatever it is. Pursuing character is a lot easier than just not putting your foot in your mouth. Maybe we could do it if it was just about saying the right things. But no, Paul digs deeper and deeper into Timothy's heart, soul, and mind in this journey where he goes speech, conduct, love, faith, and personal purity. We need to be able to, if we are going to be successful, if we are going to be pleasing to the Lord, If we are going to be faithful followers of Jesus, we've got to focus on all five of those definitions, aspects of character. So first, that's just one pursuit right there. Five pursuits of a successful life pursue character at the public level and at the private level. Number two, devote yourself to the word. In verse 13, Timothy or Paul says it like this. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, and to teaching. So the old, um, the old covenant paradigm was that the people would gather and the, word of the, the words of the law would be read publicly to the people. This is before Jesus came. This was happening. In Jesus' day, you see it in the life of Jesus, there were synagogues in all these small towns in Israel in G- Jesus' day, and Jesus would often go to the synagogue and the old covenant scriptures would be read. There's a famous scene in the life of Christ where Jesus has the opportunity to be the one to read from the Old Covenant Scriptures that day in the synagogue. And he reads from Isaiah. And so this was a part of the worship of Israel before Jesus came. But then when Jesus came, everything changed. And when I say everything changed, I mean the most important center of doctrine and the way we relate to God changed. But so many of the practices continued and the public reading of scripture was one and so instead of just reading the old covenant scriptures within the first couple centuries what we're seeing here is that the people of Jesus the followers of Jesus continued reading the old testament what we call the old covenant scriptures and they added to the reading of the old testament readings of these letters that were coming like first timothy like ephesians like romans the readings of the Gospels that were being distributed among the early church. And so when Paul is saying, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, we know that what he means is both the Old Covenant Scriptures and the books that we now know 2,000 years later as the New Testament Scriptures. He wanted those to be read, to be reflected on, and to be taught, is what he's saying there. You read them, and then you exhort people to do what that passage is telling them to do, and you teach them about the God who presents himself as this. 
So that's what we're doing here. There's a very public aspect of this for Timothy as a pastor. What Timothy is supposed to do is what I'm doing now. Read a passage publicly, tell them what it means, and tell you, here's what you should do about it. But for each of you, you have an opportunity to pursue the Scripture at a greater level privately as well. Devote yourself not just to the public reading of Scripture as you come to church, but devote yourself to the private reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to the private study of Scripture. Let me ask you something. If not for the gathering of the local church, would you be able to read, learn, and apply Scripture on your own? If that's not something that you're in the habit of doing, then it's something that we've got to collectively work on. Figure out what it means to study the Bible, how you can read the Bible on your own, apply it to your life, and live in light of its teaching for you. It doesn't mean that everyone will have the same ability to apply every passage of Scripture. But every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God. What happens when you become a Christian? You confess your sins to Jesus. Jesus saves you. Your sin is paid for on the cross, and his righteousness is attributed to you, and you have life everlasting. But the other thing that happens is the Spirit of God comes down and dwells within you. And it is by the Spirit of God that the pages of Scripture are illumined, as Scripture says. That means it's like they're lit up. It's like when you're not with Christ, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're trying to read in the dark. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you're all of a sudden reading in the light. And as you read in the light, things start to make sense more and more and more. But it's a discipline. It's a habit that takes time to develop and that doesn't come easily for all of us. So the more you pursue that discipline, the more time you spend in the Word, the greater clarity comes out of it. A great way to do this is to engage in a, in a Bible study, in a small group, in just a Bible reading group. So one of the things that we've done the last couple of years is we've used the, um, the YouVersion Bible app to to read a Bible plan through together. We've got about 40 people right now from this church that are connected on reading through the Old Testament in a year on an app. It's really simple. It's not complicated. You can read it, and then you can see what other people say about it each day. And there's a few that are really faithful to post. And some of it's questions. Some of it's insights. Some of it's, hey, I didn't understand this. Can somebody tell me what, what this passage is talking about? We need to go deeper in learning to read the Scripture, and one way to do it is just read the Scriptures together. And read the Scriptures, talk about them with somebody else. There are men's Bible studies opportunities, there are women's Bible study opportunities. There are more ways for you to do that. Number three. So number one, you pursue character. Number two, you pursue the Word. You devote yourself to the study of the Word. And number three, you find your gift. Paul is calling Timothy to succeed through giftedness. So this passage is primarily speaking of Timothy's gift of public leadership over a church, a teaching. Timothy has these gifts of leadership and teaching and preaching that are so important and vital to understanding this passage. But let me tell you something. Every single one of us is called in Christ's kingdom to do something. You know, that's great news. Because if everybody's called to do something, it means nobody's called to do everything. Not, not, none of us will have the responsibility of fulfilling every ministry, of, of utilizing every gift, of being good at everything. 
But every one of us is good at something. And when we talk about gifts, we can talk about Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, and there are spiritual gifts that are defined in there. But we can even go beyond that to just say your talents and your skills, everything about who you are, about the way you are made is handcrafted by God. And some of us have, have particular skills in leadership areas. Some of us have particular skills in teaching areas. And those are the people you tend to recognize as leaders. But sometimes people have administrative skills that don't work best on stage leading others, that work best behind the scenes. Sometimes people have skills of mercy and showing kindness and connecting people, caring for people that are hurting. Some have gifts of hospitality that love to welcome people in and make the church feel welcoming, a small group feel welcoming, or their home feel welcoming. Some people are just natural connectors that make people feel comfortable like that. Some people have financial gifts in which the way that they can serve the kingdom is by by managing money, by keeping track of kingdom resources that God's people pool together for kingdom purposes. Some people have gifts of music, and those tend to be public gifts too. And some people have gifts of just doing the little things behind the scenes that nobody else notices but are just as important as what happens on stage. And every single one of us has something that we can do within Christ's kingdom. Some of it happens within what we call the church, Fellowship Bible Church, and some of it happens just out in the community. Your giftedness that God has given you to be able to be good at whatever career you're doing, that is going to coincide with the mission and the purpose God has given you in your life. To go and represent Him as a light to those around you and to go and make disciples. So some of those gifts are different between your workplace and your church. And some of those gifts are the same. And so let me ask you something. Do you know how God has specifically wired you and what gifts he's given you? And are you using them? If not, then let me tell you what happened. There's a hole in a local church. There's a hole in the local kingdom of God when people that have gifts are not utilizing their gifts. Some of it's a leadership problem of not identifying gifts properly, of not, not raising new people up to use their gifts. But if you have a gift that you feel like God has given you to be used in ministry and to be used in his kingdom, to be used in service, sometimes ministry intimidates people. I'm just talking about serving Jesus. I'm just talking about loving people. Maybe that's better language that's less intimidating. God has given each one of us gifts to do that. So are you using it, and how are you using it? And if you don't know what it is, then, then here's a question you can ask yourself. Often, God identifies gifts in us through other people. I never planned to do what I do. I never wanted to do what I do. And yet, at a young age, people started calling out in me an ability to speak clearly in front of other people. I was given a few opportunities to do it. People just said, hey, that, that, was, that really made sense. I really heard what, what, what the passage was saying because of what, what you said. I really think that God might be doing something in you. One middle school Sunday school teacher came to me as a senior in high school and said, there's just something that you've always had that I saw in middle school and I've seen develop. 
One was a college professor. One was a boss that I had in a secular workplace. And each of those men called out something in me that I didn't see in myself. So if you don't know what your gift is, maybe you just need to ask somebody. What do you see? What do you see God using me for particularly? What do you think I'm good at that God might use for his kingdom? I don't think any of us wants to waste our life. I don't think any of us just wants to be a bump in the log in Christ's church. I think we all want to be a part of what God is doing. But it can be very difficult to identify, what's my place here? What's my role here? I'd ask you to maybe make that, listen, it's still January. It's still the new year. Maybe that's one of your goals for this year ahead. That I need to go deeper in finding out what my giftedness is and how God can use it for his kingdom. Okay, the last two, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Verse 15 says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Second basketball coaching analogy of the day. Jericho came home from the game Friday night where I was grabbing my hair. I told you about that. Um, Jericho came home Friday night saying, man, Edward's really good at dribbling. I hope someday I can be that good at dribbling. I said, boy, we can fix that. That's a skill that you can learn and you can develop. Practice. That's, That's what it takes. Skills are not just honed overnight. You're not just, you are given certain gifts, great, but even the gifts that you're given by God need to be developed over time. Not everybody develops the same skills at the same speeds, but any gift that you have that God plans to use in you, he is going to ask you to develop, practice, immerse yourself in the development of this gift, of this skill. So for Timothy, it's work at character, work at the word, and work at using your gift. Any of those three three things. That's what we're to practice too. God's told us, pursue character, pursue the word, and pursue your place in his kingdom for what he's doing amongst the world around you. Practice. Find out those things, work towards those things, and practice those things. We need to know, workaholism, it is a sin. When we work for what we can attain and what we can gain, it's a sin. So many of us overwork as a way, because we don't have enough faith in God and don't trust God enough. So we work hard, we work extra days, we work extra hours to try to do better at things and in, in so doing, we are not trusting God. So there's a, there's a fine line here. Colossians says, in everything that you do, work as unto the Lord. Not in everything that you can do, work to be better than the other guy. Work so that you don't have to one day and you store up a really great retirement for yourself. Work so that you can be really well respected amongst your peers. That's never what the Bible tells us. That's not the object of the work that we do. The object of the work that we do is to glorify God, to be good, and to work hard at the work put in front of us, whether it's ministry or whether it's a secular vocation, whether it's family or whether it's service in the community. We work hard, and we practice to get better at what we do and the opportunities God has given us, not for our own glory, for our own notoriety, for our own success and our own provision, but for the glory of God. 
that other people would see our good works and glorify the God that is in heaven. Practice. God wants you to work hard at what you do. Lastly, number, or verse 16, fifth on this list, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy lastly here, you know, Timothy, you could really mess this up. And here's how you mess it up. You don't watch yourself. Paul says to the Corinthians, take heed lest you fall. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest you fall. What that means, Paul is saying there are people that get so confident in their own standing, in their own place in the community, in their place of leadership, in their place of maturity, that they then don't pay attention to themselves anymore. They're not fighting that upstream battle of purity anymore. And that's how you fall. And Paul is saying, I've given you all these instructions. The last thing you need to know is keep a close watch on yourself. Never take your maturity for granted. Never minimize the sin in your own life and how that can just come back in a second and destroy you again. Never minimize the fact that the devil is seeking, is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking to kill and to destroy. We can't afford, brothers and sisters, Christians, we can't afford to sit in a place of complacency and say, I've been following Jesus for 30 years, and therefore I'm good. I've been faithful for all this time, so now I'm just going to coast, I'm going I'm to ride it out. That's how we fall. And Paul is saying to Timothy, watch yourself, but it's not just yourself. Watch the teaching. Again, we're back to the content of last week. There's a personal character issue that Paul is, is driving home with Timothy here. There's also a doctrinal teaching issue that Paul is continually coming back to. The two major themes of 1 Timothy, right doctrine, right character. And here he comes back to it again. As you're keeping a watch on yourself and on your character, keep watch on the scriptures and on the things that are being taught also. Because the world around you is going to twist the scriptures, twist the truth, attack the brothers and sisters, attack the followers of Jesus. So pay attention to the teaching around you. And so here it is for us. Five simple pursuits for a godly life for a life that will be called successful in God's definition. We pursue godly character so that we can set an example for those in the church and those outside the church. We pursue the word and devote ourselves to it so we know the truth of what it says, that the gospel is most clear, that no one can stand before Jesus at the end of the days without knowing that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, repenting of our sins, and Jesus' sacrifice being attributed to us. Without that knowledge, that belief, and that faith, none of us, and no human ever born, will be able to stand before the throne room of God at the end of days. So when we devote ourselves to the word, we devote ourselves primarily to that truth that every one of us must know, believe, and respond to. But beyond that, we know the truth of who he is, his sovereign control over the world, his love for us, his call for us to live in character, his call for us to love our neighbors as ourselves, his call for us to make disciples in every nation, his call for us to be a people of mission that do something, that don't just sit, 
but do something with the opportunities we've been given and live constantly in light of who he is and his glory. We have five clear pursuits. It's a pretty practical message. And so as the band comes up, I'll just, I'll just end it this way for you all. God is calling every one of us to move forward and move deeper in his word. I believe that. Every time the word of God is read publicly and explained publicly, I believe that the spirit of God is moving in our midst to confront us, convict us, challenge us, and motivate us forward. And each of those applications in light of the passage are going to be tailored to our own character and our own maturity at the time. And the Spirit of God is going to work in us to bring to mind those issues. But the practical implications that are true for all of us is we have five clear pursuits. Character, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and in purity. The word there's not a single person in this room that has matured enough in character to just be good and ignore that point. There's not a single person in this room that has enough knowledge of Scripture to just ignore point two and say, I don't need to devote myself further to the Scripture. Character, the Word, giftedness, until Christ comes back and we can say that every nation, tongue, and tribe has heard the gospel and people around from every nation have responded to the gospel and Christ returns. Until that, none of us can say, I've used my gift enough. None of us can say, it's my time to just write it out. God's moving in each of us to use us for his kingdom. It looks different in each stage of life, but he's using each of us. Practice because it makes perfect, because it makes maturity, because it helps us to develop and hone what God has called us to. And finally, take heed. Watch yourself. Because the moment that we become overconfident in our maturity, in our own battle with sin, that's the moment that the enemy comes raging in to steal, kill, and destroy. If anyone in this room has questions about the life with Christ, about responding to the gospel. When this song, when we start singing, I'd, I'd encourage any one of us to come forward. I'll, I'll meet you at the, at the altar here. We'll talk about who Jesus is. We'll talk about what he's done for you. And we'll talk about how you can follow him. But every single one of us, we can just stand. We can sing together. We can worship. And we can celebrate what God has truly done in our midst.
Father, as we close our time together today, I do pray that you would enable each of us to lay our burdens, our sorrows, our pain before you. And we ask, Father, that you would bring the healing through your spirit and through the truth of the knowledge of your word. Father, we recognize that Jesus has made us new. So send us out this morning, Father as new creations in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.